The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. We did what they said couldn't be done. We made Social Security fun again. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with Wade. And today we have another special guest. The, the hits just keep on coming. We got Jason Fickner. Wade, you want to give sure, him a little yeah, intro? Absolutely. Jason, he's got a great background in terms of government service. So Jason is the, the chief economist at the Bipartisan Policy Center. And then I know Jason primarily as well as the, the leader, my boss at the Alliance for Lifetime Income, Retirement Income Institute, where I'm a research fellow. And he's heading the whole research division at the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Uh, Jason also has experience as a past acting uh, co deputy commissioner at the Social Security Administration. He spent time as a chief economist at the Social Security Administration You've also been at a number of different economist-related positions uh, with the government in the um, the committee. Was it the Committee on Joint Taxation, I believe, if I'm recalling right? Joint, Joint Economic Committee. Joint Economic Committee. And you have your PhD from Virginia Tech, which Alex and I with McLean Asset Management, we've got a number of our advisors went through their a very highly ranked uh, public, uh, not public policy, but uh, what is it? The financial planning <laughs> uh, bachelor's program at yeah, Virginia Tech. Planning. So welcome back to the show, Jason. This is your, your second time around, and we're very glad to have you. To, we're continuing this arc on Social Security, so great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. It's good to see you guys. Uh, saw you this past week, and good to see you, of course, virtually again as well. Yeah, and for those listening, we'll have a, a bonus session later on. Today, we're going to focus on Social Security, and uh, we'll have another bonus session on uh, on, on what we did when uh, Jason, myself, Wade, and the Alliance for Lifetime yeah. Income got together and did and a little thing. First yesterday. ever, we'll have a, a, a second episode <laughs> coming out later in the week is that special bonus. First time that's ever been done, so a lot to look forward to. Look at that. <laughs> a lot of firsts. Now, wait. Well, now, Jason, will you be our, our third time guest then? Or, oh, I guess it depends really how you because... count it. That's a good point. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it as a third because I, I want to get as many as possible. You know. Okay. It's like a spousal benefit, <laughs> Wade. Quantity is a quality <laughs> all of itself. All right. And so, uh, Jason, so far in, in terms of this arc, we've spoken a lot about social social security with regards to you know how is it the, the funding claiming strategies the pay as you go system etc the myths and and all of that good stuff but something we really haven't addressed is the other side you know how the government you know what, what was what was their thinking when putting it together and and what is their thinking for really trying to create great outcomes for individuals and and I think when you joined, you know, you had some work to do, if you will. And I think it's, it's I find it fascinating for a couple of reasons. Uh, and the, my takeaway, and I'll let Wade chime in, is just, you know, it's always fun to poke fun at the government, right? It's a kind of sport, really, at, at, you know, to, for some people. But 
I'm really beyond impressed at the level of thought and uh, altruism that goes in it from the standpoint of really trying to set set people up for great outcomes. Uh, I'll, I'll just yeah, leave it at that. And in terms of the direction my career started, I was thinking to have more the path that you took in terms of that government service. I did an internship with the Social Security Administration uh, Office of Economic Policy with people like Dean Limer, Clark Burdick, Joyce Manchester. And yeah, I really got to see firsthand how uh, government officials really do seek to do what's best for the public. And you were at a much higher level than an intern at the Social, Social Security Administration. You were also responsible for a lot of the recent changes that we've seen. So really like to dig into some of those major changes. Uh, I think maybe a good starting one was when I first got involved with looking at Social Security, we talked about something called the NRA, which is not the National Rifle Association. It was the normal retirement age. <laughs> I don't think that's the reason they you, you push to change the name necessarily, but it's not. <laughs> branding, branding, Wade, we branding. We don't talk about a normal retirement age anymore. It, it has a new name. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, this is this is what we're trying to work on. And I, and I think, so one, thank you. And so, you know, Wade, in your time at Social Security, you know, one of my jobs as the chief economist and then the deputy commissioner was also to run the research. So I had all those folks under me in some ways, which was good because they're great folks to work with and great researchers. And and Alex, to your point, I appreciate you bringing out sort of the altruism. Social Security definitely is an agency that is there to help people. And, and I mean that sincerely. That is not a joke. They want to do right by the beneficiaries. They want to do right by the public. They care about the people they serve. Service is in their mission and their DNA. And, and it's important as we start talking about some of the changes we're doing, please keep in mind that, you know, it's an agency that is understaffed, could use more resources. That doesn't mean you just throw money at the agency. It means it has to be done in a way that is organized, efficient, and thoughtful, and there's accountability. But from a service standpoint, they do want to help. And so the question is from policymakers standpoint and legislators, how do we help them do the job they want to do by helping the American people uh, when it comes to retirement, disability, and other like the SSI programs? So that, that's sort of the first thing. And, and then Wade, with yours, questions about what we started changing, just to give you an example, you know, as, as we know as economists, framing makes a big difference, right? This is like the behavioral economic insight of how you talk about an issue. The words you use have important meanings. When I walked into the agency the first time, we had posters everywhere that said 62, 65, 70. And it sort of was like one, you thought, you know, 62 was an anchoring age. 65 was sort of what we thought as classical retirement. And then 60 you know, and 70 was the maximum age which you can claim benefits and get maximum retirement benefits. But that was not how it was said. It was 62, 65, 70. So like three ages. We didn't talk about 63 or 64 or 69 or 63. But what was interesting is that the 62 was an anchoring age. And what the agency called it and still calls it today, and we're trying to change it, what they call it is the EEA or the early eligibility age. So think about this. Age 62 is your early eligibility age. Who out there wants to be late for a government benefit? Anybody? What we're trying to do now is change the nomenclature, so we call it the minimum benefit age, so that people walk in. And when when I was at Social Security, I would pop into field offices and just listen. And the number one transaction the agency did back then was replacement Social Security cards. Folks got married, needed a new card, they lost it. The number one question was, when should I retire? And as you both know from being financial planners, advisors, and researchers and experts, there is not a one-size-fits-all answer to that question. And unfortunately, the agency was using something called the break-even analysis, which said if you take benefits at 62, you'll be ahead for the next 14 years. Never telling people that they lived those 14 years and beyond, they'd be behind for the rest of their life. 
and we were doing a disservice. So part of that was how do we change the discussion around the claiming? So we're not forcing people to claim early or late, but have a discussion. And one of the things I created with the agency, with the help of the folks in the research division and the communications and the actuaries, we all had a hand in it, but it's a double-sided one-pager. It's on the web. It's probably one of the only things that has lasted from my tenure at Social Security, so I'm still very proud of it. But if you just Google when to start receiving retirement benefits, Social Security, it'll pop up. Double-sided one-pager. But it talks about that your decision is a personal one, that your monthly benefit will change depending on when you retire, what age you claim benefits. That retirement is no longer the same thing. You can stop working and claim benefits. You can claim benefits and still work. You don't have to make this decision at the same time. And this idea of thinking about your spouse, because spousal benefits are impacted. Most people go, what's my benefit? Well, if you're married, when you claim can affect the spousal benefit as well. So that's important in the survivor benefit. So we start having the changing in nomenclature. And then we you brought up the normal retirement age. So the age 62 is called the early eligibility age. The age 66 in some months, it's now going to 67 for folks that are our age, is called the normal or full retirement age. Well, how could it be full if you can still get additional benefits if you wait till 70? So that wording mm-hmm. is wrong. And what does a normal retirement mean anymore? Can you guys tell me what normal is? Does that mean you don't work anymore and you go sit out on Golden Pond? We now have a changing nature of retirement where one, longevity, you could be living, having quote unquote retirement for 20 or 30 years, maybe more, having more people live to be 100 each passing day. So what does normal mean anymore? So we're changing. I think it's more like cocoon. I think it's more like cocoon than on Golden. So we, there's there's bipartisan <laughs> legislation that would change this. And again, this is, doesn't change anything with the benefits. We're not changing the tax rate of the benefit structure, but there's bipartisan legislation to change this. The wording, mm-hmm. early eligibility would now be called the early the minimum benefit age. The um, normal retirement age would just be called standard retirement age. It still isn't my preference, but it's still better than what we have. And then you'd have the maximum benefit age. But imagine now someone comes into your office, Alex, and Wade, and says, I want to talk about Social Security benefit. When should I claim? Should I claim at 62? And you could say, well, do you want the minimum benefit or the maximum benefit? And they're going to to ask you a lot of questions about what does that mean? What does it mean across 62 to 70? And that starts a holistic discussion. And we've now empowered people at Social Security to do that. And we've done that by getting rid of the break-even analysis and training folks to say, I'm not here to give you advice. I'm here to give you answers to your questions. Start with this two-pager yeah. and ask me your questions and let's walk through what might be good for you, but you have to make a personal decision. We'll help you do that. Yeah, I heard you say this the other day too, and it, and it struck me. It's one of the things I, I actually remembered. Uh, yeah, within the purview of the Social Security folks, you had said they're not there to help you optimize the claiming strategy. That's, that's not job. their job. Right. Uh, can, can you expand upon that? And the reason is I'm, I'm thinking about people that are listening in and they're making and they're thinking about this, and I don't know about them, but I would dread having to call anything. You know, I you know it's like calling the airlines or it's our DM calling DMV or something like that. You know, I would dread having to call. Like, so what would that be like? What is their sort of mo of how they're supposed to answer, et cetera, et cetera? So th- this is where, and I, and I think what's important for a financial advisor and a financial planner is that someone is hiring them to give advice. Like that, that's sort of the idea. What was always a concern for me. 10, 15 years ago and today, is that I don't want the government being the role of giving financial advice. I want them to give educational materials and be able to walk through a process so someone can lead to it as the best decision for them because it's a personal decision. What bothered me from the financial planning side, and, and, and it sort of goes into the term optimizing. Social Security, and we had this discussion at the summit, maybe we'll hold that when we get to a, our bonus issue. Sure. But it, you know, is Social Security an asset? 
For a financial planner, the answer is definitely yes. It's an asset base. For people, it's going to generate income, which they're going to use in retirement. It is part of a holistic portfolio we should talk about. When you think about an asset, though, we think about growing our assets, right? You want to grow an asset. How do you optimize your, your accumulation? Social Security technically is OASI. It's the Old Age Survivors Insurance Program. The I is the key word there, insurance. It was never meant to be your primary means of income or retirement program. It was meant to be an insurance program. Survivors, disability insurance, you know, widows, support, old age. The idea was if you retired and you got to the point where you were able to retire and you might have outlived your savings because you got to be older, so it was old age insurance, it gave you some money to top you up to protect you from being poor. It was never meant to be the sole issue of retirement income. And so when people start talking about how do I optimize it, it gets into sort of gaming strategies of trying to maximize yeah, the yeah. income, but not maximizing the insurance value that Social Security gives you. Because again, this is the best inflation-protected annuity money can buy in the market. You can't even get some inflation-protected mm-hmm. annuities. Social Security is inflation-protected. And what I want people to do, is, to, and financial planners especially, is to have a conversation with their clients about what the role of Social Security is in retirement, not trying to figure out how you maximize it. Because- some people trying to maximize, we're doing strategies that I think we're gaming the system. And those are things, to Wade's point, we got rid of when I sure. was there. Now, now, <laughs> now, to avoid the let them eat cake sort of response, because you're saying, great, if I have an advisor, but I don't have an advisor. What so now? This, this is where what the agency is supposed to do is, is sit down with someone and walk in and answer questions. So someone might say, they walk in and are free to say, look, I have health issues. I need the money today. And that's, I guess, my rule of thumb. If you need the money today, mm-hmm. take it. If you don't need it today, wait. Yeah. You can come back next week, next month, next year. Sometime between 62 and 70, you claim. There's no benefit to waiting after 70. Make sure you file for Medicare at 65, though. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things you still have to do. But for retirement benefits for Social Security, 62 to 67, Social Security, when they go in to talk to somebody who's a claims that should be asking questions holistically. Do you have other assets you need? Do you have a spouse? Do you have a divorce spouse, a previous spouse that could benefit from tension delaying? What does that mean? Who should we contact if you file for benefits? Do you have health issues? Again, someone who's 62 with health issues, they might not want to delay because they might need the money, right? Even though a spouse benefit could be higher in survivor if they pass away. So what the agency is supposed to do is have a conversation with people and not pressure them one way or the other. Again, you know, they should not. If someone comes in and spends an hour with the claims rep and decides this is not the right thing for me today and leaves, I consider that a success. If someone spends yeah, an hour yeah. and says, you know, today's the right day, that's also a success. But you want us to make sure you give the educational material discussion and you walk them through the questions they have so that they feel comfortable making the decision they do at that point in time. Yeah, you want them to be a, a, an uberly, an uber informed consumer. I, I want them to, yeah. And to your point, we said earlier, Earlier, Alex, this is the altruism that the agency wants to aspire to get to if they're not already there. They should be guiding people and helping them make an informed decision. But the decision has to be on the individual or on the spousal unit as a couple. And what if they do have the question that, that does get into related to the optimization? So the question could be like, is it okay for me to spend some of my other assets now while I'm waiting to start Social Security with the idea that that bigger and, and what the agency should say is this, this is a personal decision. Uh-huh. As advisors, you know, we could probably say, yes, it might be a good idea, but let's walk through your portfolio. Because the one thing that's interesting about Social Security, again, is protected, right? This is an inflation-protected mm-hmm. annuity. And so, and this gets into different sort of, you know, who can afford to delay claiming? I don't want to be naive to say that everyone can afford to delay claiming. They can't. 
There are some people who have minimal savings. Social security is their primary means of income and retirement. For them, it's mostly all they have, or they have very little savings. They're not going to be able to delay. They need it now. Take it now. That's fine. But, but get to that decision point with full information. And if someone starts asking the optimization question, the, the answer Social Security can give is, well, if you take benefits early, presumably if you live to the average age, you'll get the, you know, um, the net present value should be roughly the same depending all basis on your longevity. So if you're going to live to 80 and you take a benefit at 62, you'll get more checks, um, but they'll be lower for a longer period of time, where if you delay to 70, you'll get less checks, but for a longer period of time. Now, that gets you kind of back to this break-even analysis, which I'm not really a big fan of, but for someone who wants to optimize, they're basing it on their longevity. And so the, the sort yeah. of the advice or the discussion is, if you think you're going to live longer, you are better off delaying claiming. The Retirement Researcher Retirement Income Challenge has started up, and we had a great first day yesterday. But if you missed your chance to take part, don't worry. You can join our Retirement Income Challenge waitlist so you don't miss out next time. And make sure that you're able to join Wade, Alex, and I. To sign up for the waitlist, head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge, next time at least. Uh, someone's thinking about this, and we had Mary Beth Franklin yeah. on the previous episode, and uh, she's like, she's like right, right. I mean, I was started kidding her, saying, like, we should have chat GPT versus Mary Beth and, and see what happens, right? You know, kind of thing. Uh, I I think she's unique in, in terms of the breadth of knowledge that she has with regards to all these strategies. For someone that calls in, what should be their expectation of who they're speaking with? And what I'm getting at, I'm thinking is, I want them to feel confident who they're speaking with on the other end. And if you could provide a little insight with regards to the training that's involved and, and the like. I can't remember if it was, I, I'm, I apologize if it was Senator Grassley or Senator Simpson, but a senator made a uh, a quip over a decade ago that we spend more time training a social security claims representative than we do an astronaut. <laughs> and the, but, but this is, well, we did send a monkey to the moon, right? The, <laughs> Not to the moon, but in order well, but the, or, the or amount whatnot. of time and training that the claims reps get is extensive. And, and I, and I think what, you know, I, I don't want to get joke of this because you're not calling someone and getting someone who's, you know, recently just out of high school off the street who doesn't have any training. Social security trains. No, that's yeah. why I want you to say it because I, I they're, agree. They're trained professionals. And, and, you know, you can get different people of different quality. That's where you get with any sort of professional service, if you will. But the agency strives to give the best service possible and to try to have consistency in the language and the presentations and the more things we can do through scripts that are approved by the agency and by, by experts, the better off we're going to be helping deliver that customer service. Uh, and, and one of the key things about the word equity is equal. So if we can give equal people equal treatment, equal access, no matter who they call or where they call into, that's one of the goals of customer service delivery. And so they should expect they're getting someone who's a professional who understands the program and can walk them through questions they have on the benefit structure, um, spousal benefits, survivor benefits. We get a lot of questions. I keep saying we even though I'm gone. You never leave <laughs> the agency when it's been part of your, your life and your mission. Um, but, you know, for for people who are divorced. I mean, there, there's, spousal be- there's spousal benefits for divorcees. And you know, the agency is supposed to ask, if you come in to claim, did you have any, what they call material marriage, a marriage that lasted for 10 years or longer, because that ex-spouse can be due a spousal benefit. Now, that won't change the person's whose filings benefit at all. 
but sometimes they don't know that. So you have to reassure them, look, if you tell me the answer is yes, I'm not going to take some of your money and give it to your divorced, your, your ex-spouse. It's, a, it's an added benefit that's part of the program. I think that's part of the education. But they should expect when they call in that they're going to get a knowledgeable professional who can help them answer their questions on the program, the program design, and what that means for them. Yeah, that's reassuring to hear because I, if you spend much time reading about Social Security online, I think this is something financial advisors like to point out. And a lot of this is older material at this point, so to have that update is great. But you will see these complaints online about how the agent that someone was speaking with did not understand the rules and they had to print everything out of the <laughs> Social Security claiming guidebook and so forth. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there are there are mistakes that happen. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, there, there were issues that have happened to family members that, you know, we had to call in mm-hmm. and get corrected um, because they got wrong advice or maybe the advice is the wrong word, that the, the understanding of the program wasn't as nuanced for a technical issue. Um, and I think one of the things... Okay, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Alex. Yeah. No, so and 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 I know we're going in this sort of I don't think it's a rabbit hole because I I don't, I've never heard anybody talk about this in a podcast like the 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 actual mechanics of calling the social security office. So I think it's 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 actually quite useful for for consumers hearing it. So what I was and I get it. Look, results vary. Whenever you have a normal distribution of professionals, yeah, it's like you get what you get. Reviews. You know what I mean? And, and you'll vary, but there is training. It's like an online review where, yeah, every once again? in a while somebody had a bad experience, but you don't know if that's yeah. reflective of what typically happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what what I found interesting, and maybe I heard it wrong, but I just want to make sure that if mistakes do get made, look, they're there to help, and they can be corrected. This is not chiseled in stone. Yeah, and there's certain is that is that yeah, a correct? There are certain, there are uh, certain time periods. So I would say to somebody if they think they've gotten. It's, it's not, and I'll make a corollary sort of with the Internal Revenue Service. You know, so one, ag- one, ag- one agency <laughs> takes your money. You're a brave one, man. One, one gives it away. <laughs> but you still want good customer service from both. And you, regardless of when you call, where you call, what field office you go to, a district office, or if you get routed to an 800 call center that's a super center, you want to make sure you're getting someone who's a professional who's there to help you answer your questions and make sure that your needs are met, given the program's design, right? So the IRS, if you owe them money, they should help you pay you the money and not like either harass you, for example, make sure you understand the, the tax complexities. These issues are complex. And, and I think one of the things we find is that if someone thinks they did something wrong or made a mistake, there's a window in which they can get a correction, call in, set an appointment, go see somebody, get it corrected. Don't wait 10 years to do it. The core of the IRS is sometimes we make mistakes when we file a tax return. Sometimes it's in the government's favor. Sometimes it's in our favor. And we're allowed to file an amended return. So there are, there are windows in which you can do this. My point is, if someone thinks they made a mistake or there's something they're still questioning, don't wait any longer. Reach out and ask someone at Social Security the question you're having. Yeah, and it's not a gotcha sort of cadence. It's more of a let's see how we can right. help. Again, the, the customer service reps don't get, a, don't get a, uh, um, a fee or a commission based on how much you get for your retirement. <laughs> they, don't, they don't get penalized if you get more money or, or less or a bonus. It's they are there to help you, and that's the important thing. That is their, their sole mission. Wonderful. I, and I think the other interesting issue that we could look at is more of the, the complexity and depth behind the trust fund. And we have talked about the basic on the show, the basics in terms of Social Security was meant to be pay-as-you-go, but because of the changing demographic situation where there's going to be fewer workers, more retirees, there wasn't going to be sufficient funds to do a pure pay-as-you-go system so we built up the trust fund. The value of the trust fund peaked. It's now declining. Uh, we do need reform at some point. And we're trying to keep that 
in a non-political manner, but you do hear so much, like I've, I've heard people talk about the Social Security Trust Fund as a Ponzi scheme and everything else. And, and could you just walk us through how to think about the Social Security Trust Fund in the context of the broader government budgets and, and how the trust fund is used and so forth? So, so I, I think the, you know, I've always hated the term Ponzi schemes. It decides that the, you pull one card and the whole thing falls <laughs> apart, right? So, so let's, let's, let's kind of avoid that. But trust fund financing is complex and it's very important. So if the, if the three of us were running a pension plan, so it's the Alex, Wade, Jason, trustees pension plan, and we're doing it for you know, our beneficiaries, and we bought equities and we bought bonds, and part of those bond portfolio included United States treasuries, that is considered an asset, right? It is a fixed income asset. It's part of the portfolio. It's there. Uh, we would be able to tell people we own assets, including bonds, including treasuries. Social Security, the trust fund, by law, was only allowed to invest surplus payroll tax revenues or any payroll tax revenues in special interest-bearing treasuries. So treasuries that are only available for Social Security administration for the trust fund, and the idea is yeah. to make sure it gets the full market rate, and, and so that's designed. And it goes in a drawer? Exactly, and- drawer in West Virginia. Voila. Um, but the issue then is you think about government financing, you're borrowing from your left pocket to pay your right on a government financing scheme. So when excess revenues come in, whether they're from corporate taxes, individual taxes, Social Security, and they get spent on other things. And the trust fund now gets an IOU from the government. So you're basically saying the government owes the government now these trust funds. So it's still backed on the full faith and credit of the government, which means our ability to borrow money and issue bonds. And so if we were no longer able to issue bonds, if the bond market, whether that's Japan, China, banks, et cetera, said, nope, we're done with bonds, which makes you think about the debt ceiling debate we're having, but they said no more bonds, then those assets would basically be depleted. And what do you do? You'd have to print money and then you have inflationary components and that's the problem. So from a unified budget perspective, it does impact the federal debt. And I think that's important to know. And when we think about the debt ceiling, which is right now $31.4 trillion, there's what's called debt subject to limit. And that includes the trust fund assets that are held in Social Security and Medicare. So those are debts to limit. And, and you can swap some of the- And what does that mean for the, well, for my debt subject to so limit? So what, what it means what is- What does that phrase? What it means debt? is there are, there are some instrumentalities out there that the government is not subject to the debt ceiling, but it's very small. Social Security, gotcha, Social gotcha, Security gotcha, is. Gotcha, so gotcha. basically to pay benefits, you'd have to take the government debt and swap it for public debt. But at some point, this intergovernmental will be public because Wade said we're drawing down the trust fund and that's what we're doing. We're swapping it for public, but it stays under the overall debt ceiling cap. And this gets into what does it mean for reform? Because they were never invested in marketable securities, which could be equities or government bonds that are marketable, corporate bonds. And there are some proposals that would do that. When we think about what it means going forward, right now, there's the trust fund is scheduled or estimated to be depleted in 2033. We got 10 years for the retirement trust fund. So this is talking about retirement only. That's 10 years from now. Current law means that if Congress does nothing, benefits have to be reduced. The Social Administration has no borrowing authority. By law, it can only pay out in benefits what it collects in payroll taxes, which at the point of trust fund depletion is about 77%, maybe 75. Mm-hmm. Let's just say potentially a 25% haircut. The Social Security Administration, the commissioner could make a decision, we think it's undecided, <laughs> to delay benefits. So think about two choices if Congress does nothing. Either the commissioner at the time says, guess what? I can't pay full benefits. Everyone's getting a 25% haircut. Go thank Congress. Don't thank me as commissioner. 
or we're going to pay you full benefits, but I don't have all the money today, so I have to delay paying you until I get more payroll taxes in. Then I'll pay full benefits, but now your full benefits will keep getting delayed in perpetuity until Congress does. Uh Neither of which is a good option. So what does that mean going forward? And thinking about reform. Generally, you've had this binary discussion where you have those on the left saying we want to raise benefits or raise taxes or both. You've had those on the right saying we need to reform benefits, raise the retirement age, the cost of living, but we don't want to touch taxes. And you've got the nuanced folks in between saying you got to do something in between. I want to offer up something for a conversation to start getting people thinking differently. We need to do something on the benefit side and something on the revenue side. The key word there, though, is revenues. Right now, the primary means of supporting Social Security is through the payroll tax. You get some interest on the trust fund assets coming in. We also have taxable Social Security benefits that bring some income in. But the primary is is the payroll taxes, which, again, in 2033, if nothing is done, is enough to pay roughly three quarters. The Social Security payroll tax is 12.4% right now. It's uncapped. Um, we could raise and lift the cap, get rid of the cap, but that'd be a big tax increase on those who are above the current level. We also could look at raising the payroll tax rate for everybody, but to make Social Security solvent for 75 years starting in 2033 would be a four percentage point tax increase or a 33% tax increase. That's a lot. That makes labor very expensive. You add on your Medicare taxes, you're looking at 20% potentially for payroll taxes, adding your federal, your state, local, oh my gosh, you're, you're not even keeping half your money anymore. Why don't we think about revenues as revenues look for alternative sources of revenues? Either potentially, and again, I'm not proposing that I endorse this, but I want to have a conversation about it. No, you're just putting, putting it, out it out there. there. I get it. You could talk about having a carbon tax that's dedicated towards Social Security. You could have a discussion about a financial transaction tax. You could have a discussion about what a, you know, a better designed estate tax might look like. But again, dedicate the revenues to Social Security. And then when you put those in, just don't put them into... Um, treasury bills, which are, again, the government's going to spend into an IOU, let's now have the Alex Wade Jason Investment Trust, where the three of us well, will start this, this... investing it as if we were doing a real pension mm-hmm. plan and invest in you the market. You said something interesting. You said something interesting here that Wade actually pointed out. And Wade, you said in your studies of, of other countries' pension plans, we were we were like the only one that does this uh, West Virginia strategy. Yeah, and that the IMF generally, uh, when they're right. giving advice to countries, they say don't fund government spending through your pension fund. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to get away from that. So you know, one of the proposals I would endorse is whatever we do, if we generate something that creates an additional surplus revenue for Social Security, it should not solely go into treasuries. It should be a managed trust account. And Senator Bill Cassidy is, is promoting something along those lines. I'm not, again, I'm not here to endorse it, but I want mm-hmm. to have a, con- I want I to have a conversation about what it looks like because one of my other hats is I help run the Puerto Rico Pension Reserve Trust, which is government surplus revenue coming into an independent organization, which I'm a part of, that now manages the trust fund assets because the payroll taxes are declining. And at some point, you need to make up the difference between payroll taxes and what's promised. And that's where the trust comes in. The Retirement Researcher Retirement Income Challenge has started up. And we had a great first day yesterday. But if you missed your chance to take part, don't worry. You can join our Retirement Income Challenge waitlist so you don't miss out next time. And make sure that you're able to join Wade, Alex, and I. To sign up for the waitlist, head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge next time at least. I, I, I don't disagree, but does that bring up 
I'm just going to play the other role, and I, I, I haven't thought thought it through, so I, I could be off here. But okay, but if you do that, then to some extent, there has to be some engineering of the markets because you know you can say that we're going to invest, but the reality is the U.S. market represents. I don't know offhand, 50% of the global equity market, just just to say something like that in rough terms, yeah. right? So, and so it, it becomes in our best interest from a planning perspective not to let the markets drop since so much Social Security, in addition to 401ks are behind it. Let's let's not try to get in that game because then you're, you're really you're, – yes, there's free markets, but not when it's tied to all of these potential – liabilities that have to do with people's mm. retirements well, you know that that kind so, of so thinking this is How one is, I, of- I don't want to play the equity premium game which i think a lot of pension plans gotten problems with which they're like oh we'll just assume mm-hmm. we get a 10 percent return and our fundings have no problem mm-hmm. i want to do the opposite i want to assume i get a four or five four or four and a half percent return and if i do better i just do better i don't want to be chasing yield okay. and risk i want to have so that's the point is to set this up for mm-hmm. success so maybe you set it up or your goal is to get treasury bills and that's why they were put there in the first place. But you give us some latitude to have a diversified portfolio. But you know, if you the three of us were given a four and a half percent benchmark, nominal, I'm pretty sure you and I could find a really good investment strategy that is diversified, that minimizes risk, probably gets above a four and a half percent target and, and allows us to You haven't us. seen my statements, Jason. <laughs> you haven't seen my statements. But but this, but this is the point. And again, it's a lot of money that goes into the market, but there's there, no, I there's get you. Where you're thinking about what's the return and, and where do you want to put money? And this is something I think, and again, don't think of it as being 100% in. Think about this as we still have payroll tax revenues that are going to be three-fourths of what goes out. I need to make up that 25% gap. How do I do again, that? Again, I was yeah. just doing no, this no. off the top of my head. This I was is, thinking- This how... is part of the conversation I want to have, though, because everyone's going to have these questions. Yeah. And I think we should find a way to have, you know, maybe we do another podcast. We actually say, all right, let's walk through an investment trust- mm-hmm. How yeah. it might look, and, no, and, then, and then take the, the take questions. You know, later on, I feel like right in. We do part two. So part one is let's set Jason sketch it out, Alex and Wade attack them. We publish it online, and then we have questions come in, and we do a part two and see if we can figure out how to how to sign. Uh, I think it. it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think no, hundred percent. Now, well, along those lines, just like the corporate well, governance question of when it comes time for the shareholders to vote on things, how does the the Social Security U.S. government vote on these matters? So. And, and I think part of this, and I'll, I'll tell you because of the Puerto Rico thing we're doing. One, we have what's called an investment policy statement, which you guys are familiar with, which sets out what our target is, how we plan to invest, et cetera. We also have investment advisors. Uh, so large companies do this as well. We are turning over the, the shareholder rights to vote to them. Like, so we don't, I don't want anyone lobbying me and saying you have to vote mm-hmm. this way because you're, that's not how we're doing it. So, so the governance basically is to have some independence from the government putting their thumb on us. And so we are independent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like my... I have a six-year term where I can't be fired, which my wife says, you know, tell them no backsies. <laughs> uh, but the only way to remove me is to make a petition to the bankruptcy court because part of this agreement came out of bankruptcy. So um, imagine you know, a situation where you want to have some ability to groove somebody, but maybe it's not that the president can fire me. Maybe the Congress can't. Maybe it's got to be you got to have both, right? Yeah. You have There's a separation yeah. of church and state. You got to have bit. sort of these you know, powers where it takes three-fourths of the House and the Senate and the you know, the president to do it, maybe the Supreme Court's got to weigh in. I don't, you, know, you, you figure out something where you have independence, and then you, you make those decisions, and people have to be qualified. So, like, I had to be qualified. I do like this pension idea that you had, though. I think that's cool. It's I, called I, an investment I, trust. I, it, it, an investment trust is not, yeah, not no. a sovereign wealth fund, because, one, I don't want to report to any sovereign. Um, and, and people joke about where the wealth is going. It literally is an investment trust, which is designed to be, in some ways, the sole beneficiary would be the Social Security Administration or the trustees 
of Social Security to pay benefits that they can't pay just based on payroll taxes alone. No, I, I think that's good. And, you know, if, if you really want to have that discourse, look, we have a large enough audience that I think this would be of interest yeah. to a lot of or, folks. Or maybe this is maybe this know. is the cue right now to say, you know, you guys are going to put a little file together and say, hey, we have all these questions for Jason <laughs> on investment trusts and you start collecting them. And then we have that for the episode we do in the future. Right. No, 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 absolutely. But I, I think we can set it up nice, not nicer than that, too. But it's something to be more relevant with regards to what's happening right now, because you said the debt ceiling. And we usually are always thinking about more evergreen things. But this is Social Security. For folks that are listening right now about the debt ceiling and things like that, because this episode will air in a, in a few days, actually. We're going to – this is going to be hot off the press. How, how would you – what would you tell folks with regards to all the discussions that's going on right now? And, and if they're thinking, oh, am I going to expect my Social Security check if if for whatever reason it's it's not so, so et cetera, the, et cetera. Twofold. One, I, I – well, three things. One, I do not think that Congress will allow us to go over – you know, uh, the point at which Treasury has no options on extraordinary measures. I could be wrong, um, but so far <laughs> the history is they get to the cliff and at the 11th hour and 59th minute and 59th second, they make a deal and something happens to solve off Armageddon. Um, but let's say we do. One, people will still get their Social Security checks. So there's statutory authority, there's financial authority. Again, the trust fund assets allow you to take those assets and they're only to be used for the payment of Social Security benefits. They can use those trust fund assets. Literally think about a, a bar chart in which you have that $31.4 trillion. That consists of public debt and intergovernmental. You swap the intergovernmental, go on the market, you sell it to Japan, the banks of China for public debt. That gives money for Social Security, and you have not changed the total number of debt dollars outstanding. It's just a swap. So that's And they'll get paid. And Treasury can prioritize interest on the debt and Social Security. One of the things we learned after 2011 debt ceiling is the Treasury and Federal Reserve had discussions where they in their minutes to the meetings show that they were having plans and had plans to prioritize payments. Those will get made. So it probably will not be a technical default. Social Security get paid. The last thing though is everything else gets screwed up. So, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> it, this is the right, this is where the left and the right are sort of missing it. I laugh because I don't want to cry. <laughs> well, but, that's, but that's where I think the people are focusing yeah, yeah. on, can you pay Social Security? Yes. Well, you're not going to pay anything else though. So that's the problem. So the markets are going to react negatively. So if you're on social security and you have a yeah. 401k, guess what? It's now a 201k. Well, this gets solved out. It's gone now by half. Interest rates go up. You want to buy a house? Rates go up. You want to buy a car? Rates go up. It, it, it doesn't, to say we can pay social security helps make sure those checks go out, but seniors are still going to be impacted because the overall economy is going to be impacted and sort of the things that they were relying on for other income yeah, sources. Yeah, you still have a fire in the kitchen. Exactly. And it's it sort of, or the, yeah, the house is on fire and you basically put out the you know the couch where everything else is burning down around you. are like, whoo, I'm fine. <laughs> it's a comfy couch. So, so, so yeah, let's yeah, just yeah, get yeah. that clear. It does not solve the underlying problem. So I don't, what I don't want is I, I don't like when the, the Republicans go out and say, oh, we can prioritize payments. There's no problem. Yeah, we can prioritize <laughs> some payments and there's still a problem. Or Democrats go and say, you're not going to get your Social Security check. Yeah, you're going to get it. But you're still going to have problems. So that's, <laughs> everyone needs to come together gotcha. and negotiate. <laughs> no, and, and I think this is this is very helpful. And it, it it's a good transition for the, the, the next conversation we wanted to have with regards to why reliable income, why sources of reliable income are extremely important, which is part of what the Alliance for Lifetime Income is about. Uh, Wade, you want to... You want to? I don't know anything else about Social Security, Jason. Before we move to the next, uh, one uh, trust fund depletion does not mean bankruptcy. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. It'll be there for you. And and even if you think Congress and the we talk about like you know sequence of return risk, market risk. I always now talk about political risk. What's going to who's going to be in the White House? What party? And when we get to twenty thirty three. 
but realize that even if Congress does nothing, like, and they just can't agree on anything and things just go to hell in a handbasket, you still get 75%. That's a lot better than zero. Um, and we need to talk about how we can start thinking about planning for how to make up that gap if that does happen. Uh, so that the worst case scenario is you do get a reduction in benefits and you plan for it and you get an increase. Best case scenario, there's no reduction in benefits and you have extra money where you can spend in retirement or leave to your kids. That's how I would sort of frame it. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, let, let's wrap up this one. And for the first time ever, we're going to have a special bonus episode later in the week. So you don't have to wait a full seven days to get your fill of Retire with Style. We'll be back with Jason that I later this yes. week to talk about the Alliance for Lifetime Income Summit that we were all at in Washington, D.C. on May 16th. And, and what, what happened there? There's a really interesting event. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, and we'll was... catch you again soon. Thank you, Jason. And we'll be talking to you again in just a moment or just a few days here on Retirement I'm, Style. I th- and I thank you both for having me on talk about Social Security and looking forward to the next conversation. Yeah, of course. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.